Welcome to another episode of the Relax Just Love podcast, vegan edition. I have the pleasure to be sitting with Dr. Nagra. How you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Uh, I'm always good, to be honest with you. It's very, very rare that I'm not doing good. If I don't, I meditate, I hit the gym, and I feel better afterwards. So That's pretty good. So you are a naturopath and an athlete. We'll have to talk about which type of athlete you actually are. Actually, let's start with that. What type of athlete are you? Uh, all of them. Um, I play, I've, I've done like every sport. I, so soccer has been my main sport my whole life. Yeah. Uh, it's the one that I've played since I was four years old till now. I've never, other than during COVID where we didn't have a season, haven't have, you know, I haven't uh, 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 stopped playing since I was four. But I have like a black belt in Taekwondo, blue belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I boxed for years. I played ice hockey. I played volleyball, basketball. Um, I even competed in some wrestling tournaments even though i never really like trained in wrestling um I've, yeah i've done a little bit of everything i feel i've, I've been on a curling team actually i was on a curling team in, in high school for a bit too so i've really done it all i think yeah oh that's great because i'm a martial artist too i've been at it for 15 20 years now i specialize in stand-up though i'm a muay thai guy okay but... yeah i did i did some muay thai when i was in thailand i i just felt like i had to you know, yeah you I have to yeah, I was doing jujitsu with one of my buddies yesterday. He's uh, end of his purple. He should be brown, but because of COVID, the training was on hold for a while, so he should be yeah, a brown yeah. belt now. But so you've been doing it for at least two years if you're a blue belt. Um, so I did it consistently, probably from when I so I got my black belt in Taekwondo when I was 16, and I think I might have started just before that. So I might have started when I was like 15 ish. Um, did it for two or three years and then I kind of fell off and now like I occasionally jump into it if I was consistent I'd easily be a purple by now okay. uh, if not beyond that um but it's just you know eventually you got to pick a sport because you yeah. don't have all the time in the world so uh I pick soccer uh I, I have a joke for you then so so you like to fake then Brazilian Jiu Jitsu yeah. you can't be faking it I don't do that I don't, I don't I don't do that actually I don't dive um at all so my team gets mad at me because I, I get I, I'm like I'm like the small I'm like the small, quick guy. So I get all hacked by everybody all the time. Mm -hmm. Like all the bigger guys that try to like take me down, but I don't fall. Like I won't just fall down and take the foul. So they actually get upset with me. <laughs> That's the martial art portion. Yeah. There's no, there's no faking in jujitsu. There's no faking yeah. it. So explain to me, we, well, we were talking beforehand and I, I think I want to start with this. If you don't mind the, I Googled naturopathy before. And the first thing that comes up is, wikipedia and within the first sentence it used pseudoscience how does that make you feel when the most popular article is obviously extremely biased yeah yeah so i like i think that you have to understand that as with basically any profession there's a wide range of practices that yeah. could fall under that umbrella term and there's you know a bunch of practitioners that practice in very different ways. Now I choose to focus my practice on, you know, evidence-based modalities and evidence-based uh, uh, treatments. Um, but there are certainly MDs out there that practice in non-evidence-based manners as there are professionals in basically all healthcare spaces. There just are. Um, might be more prevalent in certain uh, professions than others, but that's just kind of the reality of it. Um, I, I definitely think that to brand an entire profession as 
or to blanket uh, term the entire uh, profession of something like pseudoscience is is a bit you know a bit unfair when there are you know many different ways in which you can fit under that umbrella. And certainly, as the years and the decades have gone on, things are changing. Um, I know, especially as far as the up and comers in our profession, me being one of them, uh, we tend to focus a lot more on the you know evidence based practices uh, and. Uh, um, and less so on those, those sort of, you know, outdated traditional sort of practices. So what made you choose it? Because yeah. you were saying that the first two years is the exact same as any medical doctor. And then, no, you... so I, I just want to clarify, I wouldn't say it's exactly the same. I would say similarly to okay, a, okay. a medical degree. Yeah. Similar to a medical degree, we go through all the basic sciences and like diagnostics, clinical skills, um, largely focused on in those first couple of years. Um, there is some, there's actually, I'd say a fair amount of overlap based on the academic calendars that I've seen and the types of courses and everything. Um, but then it's in the latter two years where things, you know, divulge a little bit as far as the types of treatment modalities, you know, we focus uh, obviously on nutrition, physical medicine and other modalities, um, a bit more than things like pharmaceuticals and that, although we do learn about that, I can prescribe medications. It's an additional uh, certification I've gotten, um, But yeah, the latter two years is where things kind of divulge a bit. Now, as for why I um, chose that uh, or this profession was, you know, I knew that I wanted to do something in the space of healthcare, but I also, as a teenager, especially from when I was about 15 onwards, I was really um, interested in nutrition. I, I did like, and, you know, of course I could have gone into Uh, you know, dietetics or something. Uh, but I was really interested in nutrition and um, I had uh, improved my health through better nutrition. My dad did the same. Um, I had started researching a lot of this uh, through my teens and trying to you know, gain a better understanding around how nutrition can affect our health. Um, and I actually had a teacher of mine at the University of Victoria recommend that I shadow her naturopathic doctor. And so I reached out to them. They were totally fine with having me in. It was a couple that ran this clinic. And so I got to spend several days with them. I, I spent, you know, some days with the, the wife, and some days with the husband, just seeing different practices they do. And I was really um, impressed by the wide range of sort of, uh, you know, treatments um, that they could offer. You know, there's the counseling side, the nutrition side. Then there's like the medical side where it's you know, writing prescriptions and doing all that. And so I thought, well, this is a great way for me to be able to focus on nutrition while also being able to do the things like prescribing medication, running the labs, um, you know, a lot of those things that I might do if I was say like a general practitioner or, or in the medical field um, without having to give up one or the other. Now there are negatives to it as well. I mean, I can't see, or I, uh, most of the patients that see me have extended health benefits uh, because otherwise they have to pay out of pocket. So there is an issue there as far as I can't really just see everybody. Um, not everybody can, you know, has the means to do so. Um, access to certain testing and, and labs and that uh, maybe I don't have as much as say a medical doctor would but as far as my goals it's a pretty good compromise between the two sorts of areas that I like to practice in. Did you become a vegan beforehand or afterwards or as before. you're going through before? Yeah. So that did impact your choice I would imagine. No if, if anything uh Uh, I, I was the sole vegan in my class. I was the only one. Um, there was, I think, like two vegetarians or something in my class, but the rest were all, all meat eaters. So it was, um, I was vegan for 
three years, I believe, but I, I went vegan beginning of 2011. Um, and then I started my naturopathic studies in the fall of 2014. So, okay. um, yeah, uh, quite a bit before. Can I ask what your background is? Where was where, like, your, your family from originally? So, so my family's from India, um, okay. Punjab region, uh, North, Northwest. Um, I am born and raised in British Columbia, Canada. So, so I'm, I'm very, very much Canadian. <laughs> but <laughs> I've, you're, been, you're, I've been to India once. <laughs> you're used to the vegetarian diet though, right? No, my, my, my family. No? Um, so I would say if we went back to like my grandparents and, and maybe my parents when they were living there, sure. But my parents um, moved over to Canada or migrated over to Canada at a very young age. Okay. Um, so they were both very young. They went through their schooling here or most of their schooling. My mom had started in India, uh, but most of their schooling here, um, you know, they grew up here. They're, they're also very much Canadian in, in that <laughs> sense. And, you know, my, my dad's diet, especially uh, growing up was not good. Um, and then uh, mine, you know, similarly through my younger ages was far from, from vegetarian. I've met, I lived in Toronto for a very long time and the, the Indian population there is massive and I love Indian foods. So I was very, very happy, but it's easy as a vegan and vegetarian to actually be able to eat in Indian restaurants, right? Most of the food oh, yeah. can be made vegan super easily. Yeah. Yeah. It's just sometimes you got to look out for like butter products, but that's about it. And cheese. Indians yeah. do like their cheese. They yeah, deep yeah, fry. Yeah. They do everything with cheese. They do yeah. like it. Um, I was looking through your Instagram profile earlier and there's something, I do not remember the name of the cardiologist, but when I first started, when I stopped eating meat about 12 years ago, I saw a documentary with this cardiologist that said that he was vegan and he was explaining how he was able to change every single patient that ever came to him that followed his recommendation as to change their diet, especially stop eating red meat they were able to um, to fix all the issues they had. Like they never came back, especially with clogged arteries. I just can't remember what the name of the of the cardiologist was, but that that made me think because you do mention recently about plant-centered diet and cardiovascular diseases. It seems like it was a study that you just posted kind of the, the headline of the study. But is that something you participated in or you were just posting about? It? No, 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 no. I, I do that pretty regularly. So like normally I, I make these posts that are um, on general topics. So okay. I might do a post yeah. on like X topic and I'll, I'll, you know, reference four or five different studies throughout and kind of give the breakdown. But then once in a while, a new study comes out and it's like a really good one where I'll just post the study itself i'll just post the one study hey this is an excellent study here's the findings it's brand new whatever you know just to keep people up to date um so that's probably what you saw i think the one you're talking about was the plant-centered diets in young and middle adulthood or something yes, like that that's exactly yeah. the one. yeah it was just it was basically showing how beneficial adopting a plant-centric diet in your young younger years is for reducing your long-term risk of things like cardiovascular disease um whereas like you know, if you, if you've been eating a standard American diet your whole life, and then you hop on a, a plant-based diet at, you know, age 80, yeah, it's still beneficial, but it would have been more beneficial if you, you know, started <laughs> at 20. Um, that, that's kind of, it was just showing how large that magnitude of benefit is if you're transitioning during a younger age. Do you feel comfortable? Because that's a question I've often wondered. I don't have, I don't have kids yet, but one day mm -hmm. and 
what do you, how do you feel about children being raised on a vegan diet, on a plant-based diet from the day that they're born? Yeah. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, we have research on that. Uh, and, and thus far, you know, if you're like, we need to make sure that, you know, the parents and then the kids, once they're, you know, uh, born or, or starting to eat whole foods rather than, than uh, breast milk, especially, uh, make sure they're properly supplemented with B12. Make sure that, um, you know, depending on where you live, they're supplementing with vitamin D. That's a pretty standard practice here. Um, there, are, there are certain nutrients that we want to make sure that they are getting in their diet, whether that's through fortified foods or supplementation. But we do have um, a fair amount of research now showing that, yes, they can grow properly. Yes, they can develop uh, properly. Yes, if anything, there's benefits to higher plant consumption. We have research on like processed meat consumption and some pretty you know, nasty, uh, uh, risks there, um, you know, as in young children as well. So, uh, we definitely do have data suggesting that, that more plants, uh, could be beneficial unless of, especially the processed meat. Uh, but we don't, I, I am not concerned with children following a vegan diet, as long as, you know, they're making sure that they're, uh, eating enough calories and that they're getting, you know, all the proper nutrition. I always love that argument saying that you, you lack vitamin D or lack B12 when, most people that eat meat also lack B12, D, C, they, they lack. So it's like they don't have to supplement because they eat meat, although they're, they're lacking a lot of vitamins that they're not getting from their well, diet. I mean, vitamin, vitamin D, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vitamin D, especially wintertime in certain in certain areas could be problematic regardless of yeah. diet. Yeah. Um, B12, less risk of deficiency in meat eaters for sure, but still possible to be efficient, especially as we age, actually, once you get over 50, over especially 65, uh, risk goes up a lot because you don't absorb it as much or as easily. Um, but then when we look at actual dietary nutrient intake and nutrient status studies, so looking at actual um, uh, blood levels of, of different nutrients or, or tissue levels, um, we see that the vegans or vegetarians, if studies are looking at that, tend to do as good or better than the meat eaters, uh, very consistently. It's actually quite rare that you'll see the opposite. Um, so, so again, there's just not a really good argument for that, that, you know, you can't get all the nutrition you need on, on a vegan diet. What would you, so except for B12, what would you <clears throat> say is the biggest deficiency when it comes to a vegan diet? Huh, biggest deficiency. Um, well, vitamin D depends on where you live. Although I would say that it's something I'm looking into more. The data on vitamin D um, needs is pretty murky. Like uh, I'm not, I'm not as convinced that we need levels as high as, as you know, I, at least I used to believe. Um, so it's a little bit questionable, but that's possibly one. Uh, iodine is possibly one as well. Um, that now I haven't seen research suggesting that vegans are suffering from things like hypothyroidism at higher rates, uh, because, um, low iodine deficiency can lead to that. But at the same time, if we look at actual levels of iodine, vegans are typically lower. Um, but really, I don't think any of these come even close to the issue of B12 deficiency. I think that is far and away the biggest concern, uh, as far as supplementation goes. So would you say that, cause I take a, it's not, a, I take a multivitamin, but I take an mm -hmm. extra B12 like concentrated every day, but do you think that's enough? 
Because I always assume that it's enough. Well, it depends. It depends on the dose you're taking, right? It totally. Now there's a variety of different dosing strategies. You can actually do a really small dose if it's every day. Um, there's, uh, you know, there's some research suggesting even as little as 50 micrograms a day is good enough. Um, you can't get supplements that low in dosage though. So usually yeah. you're doing like, you know, you're usually doing like 250 or something a day, which is more than fine. Like I, I'd rather people take extra than than not enough. Um, and then, or you can do even a once a week dose, which is what I do. I just do a high dose once a week of like, you know, 2,500 micrograms of cyanocobalamin. I'm good to go. Um, so, you know, there are a variety of different dosing strategies. You don't really need to, uh, take these. Like, I know a lot of people that do like a thousand every day. Like that's overkill in my opinion. You, you probably don't need to, uh, but I also don't think it's like a super risky thing to do. Super cheap too. Like yeah. I think mine are a thousand milligram and the pill is super super tiny i just take it with the rest that i take and it's yeah done every day i don't even worry about it yeah the there, there's another thing that you that you mentioned that i find interesting is regarding diabetes mm -hmm. so correct me if i'm wrong type 1 diabetes is when your pancreas is not capable of producing insulin properly so mm -hmm. it's normally something that you're born with because it's normally detected in young children right Well, it, it can develop. It, okay. it doesn't, it doesn't mean okay. you have to be born with it, but it's an autoimmune condition. Yes. So your immune system is attacking your pancreas. Yeah. Now what triggers that? I mean, we have speculation. We don't, we don't really have a firm cause and there might be multiple things that can trigger it. Who knows? Um, but it, it's your immune system that attacks your pancreas and damages your pancreas. So it can't produce insulin. And then type two is when your body does produce insulin, but your body doesn't produce, your pancreas produces insulin, but your body cannot use it properly. Yeah. Your body doesn't respond to insulin. Um, yeah. You're insulin resistant, it's called. So, you know, insulin will tell your cells like, Hey, there's a bunch of sugar in the blood, go do something with it. But, <laughs> but the cells aren't responding. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it can eventually lead to issues with your pancreas. Like it, it can eventually lead to, Uh, your pancreas not being able to pump out enough insulin. There's a, there's a whole kind of process there that happens, but that's usually after you've been uh, insulin resistant and, and uh, living, you know, living with diabetes for a long time. So type one will take insulin every day. And, yeah. and is it safe to say that it's about a 90, uh, a 10-90 split? Like from, from what I was reading, type one is about 10% of cases and type two, which is normally self-inflicted, if I can say it that way, is more like... Um, 90% of the cases. So I haven't looked at the exact percentage split, but that sounds like it's probably a reasonable uh, statistic. Uh, it's probably something in that ballpark. Uh, and now with type two, I, I want to say that, that yes, our own lifestyle um, uh, choices can definitely have a, an impact. Um, but at the same time, I don't want to rule out the fact that there are genetic predispositions and things that can occur as well, uh, you know, to put someone at higher risk. Uh, and then we also have to think about like, uh, uh, you know, uh, circumstances, like life circumstances, you know, there might be uh, people who don't have the ability to you know, consume healthier foods because they're right. living in food deserts or things. So like, I, I wouldn't quite go so far as to say that it's, you know, uh, self-inflicted. And a lot of yeah. time it's a knowledge issue. It's a, it's a, you know, life circumstances issue too. But yes, as far as our own lifestyle uh, behaviors can definitely, or are definitely a driving force behind type 2 diabetes. So I'll rephrase my yeah. comment then. I will say that it it is in your control to, it should be into your control to do something. Meaning that the temp, type one, it's autoimmune. So there's nothing much you can do except to take insulin. 
but type two normally there is something that you can do if you have the means or not that's a different subject but you do have a solution that you can do except like you can look at what you eat you can look at your diet at your exercise and the reason i ask a question in my family it's very strong like in my family a lot of people have type 2 diabetes and they're quite overweight Let, let's say they don't look like me like they, they're not careful about what they eat they're not they don't exercise but the question I have for you is because there's another study that you uh, you seem to be that you posted on your on your on your page, talking about how plant based diet will affect type two diabetes. Is that something you talk with your with your your clients, your patients, your patients? I guess would be the proper term. Yeah, I get a lot of patients with type two diabetes, um, and and we just talk like I, I basically run them uh, run them through how it develops, why it develops. Um, what risk factors they may have for, you know, uh, for that and, and, uh, you know, what may have driven that, um, diagnosis. And then we talk about how we can combat that with, um, uh, largely nutrition and other lifestyle habits. You know, it's not just diet, but, you know, exercise and, and, you know, weight loss, if achievable is, is, is a huge one. That's actually one of the biggest factors for, um, type two diabetes. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. It is something that I talk with a lot of my patients about. So how do you normally approach it? When uh, let's say I come into your office and I tell you I've been diagnosed with type two diabetes, I take X medication to mm -hmm. to try to make me feel better. How do you approach the how do you approach the subject? Yeah, so normally I just ask them. Well, do you know? Um, you know, after we've obviously gone through some background info, I'll ask them. Uh, <laughs> you know, do you know? Yeah, I don't just jump right into it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, I ask, do you know um, how insulin resistance develops or why it develops? Um, oftentimes they say, you know, they might have a little bit of knowledge, but you know, uh, otherwise they don't know too much. And so I'll just kind of go through like, look, um, uh, do you want me to go through the kind of process? Oh yeah, here? absolutely. That, uh, okay, that's okay. what I, I'm yeah, very curious. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that's yeah, what okay. I'm asking. Okay. I, I'm going to give, I'll give kind of the simple version that, yeah. that I give across. Obviously there are more nuances and things, but uh, basically in a healthy, you know, not a person without diabetes, when you eat carbohydrates, your blood sugar goes up. Uh, as your blood sugar goes up, your pancreas produces insulin. It travels through the bloodstream. It finds, you know, cells or it finds insulin receptors, which are usually attached to cells like, uh, muscle cells or liver cells. It binds to that receptor and says, Hey, there's you know, sugar out here. You need to, to do something, you know, take it in and they can use it for energy. They can store it. You know, there's a variety of different processes there. Now in somebody with insulin resistance, the same process, you eat carbohydrates, blood sugar goes up pancreas produces insulin and it travels through the bloodstream. Um, and then it reaches that insulin receptor. Again, it binds to the insulin receptor, but that signal isn't getting through. So the, the, you know, something is blocking that signal. And what is actually in a lot of cases, the issue is that you have these, uh, fatty breakdown products on the inside of the cell that are actually, uh, what we call lipotoxic to the cell. Um, now these fatty breakdown tissues can come from a few areas. One of the biggest ones is we have this visceral fat. So this fat around our organs uh, that can actually eventually kind of spill into the bloodstream and then end up in these tissues that we don't want them to be. Um, and, and that fat just builds up in there and, and is blocking the signal from the inside. Uh, additionally, it seems that saturated fat intake might do the same thing. So if you're eating a lot of saturated fats, so meat, uh, fatty dairy products, uh, possibly even coconut oils and things like that. Um, and so you get these breakdown products, they're blocking insulin and it's not working. So how do we fix that? 
Well, I mean, of course, uh, weight loss is, is a one factor, uh, a lower saturated fat diet, which is typically a plant-based diet. And plus there are additional beneficial compounds within plants, like the, um, uh, possibly the, the polyphenols, definitely the fiber and these other, uh, contents that can help uh, improve insulin sensitivity too. Um, and we can, you know, slowly see improvements to the point where maybe you have to get off your medications altogether, uh, depending on how long you've been, uh, struggling with type two diabetes. Like I said, eventually it can lead to a point where your pancreas is struggling. Um, but if it's caught early enough, usually you can have a pretty good success rate with, you know, some, some, uh, significant dietary changes. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of the brief version. Obviously I would have an hour long appointment and we, we'd go into uh, more about it, but that, that's kind of the, the explanation that I give. And then we can uh, kind of go from there, talk about the specifics of the sorts of dietary changes, what their diet looks like right now and, and how we can modify that. Cause I, I really like working with people's current diets. I don't like to just throw a bunch of stuff like this is what you gotta do. No, let's look at what you actually eat and let's see how we can modify things to, you know, best suit your goals. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, hopefully that kind of answers your question there. Oh, absolutely. Um, do, do you get uh, people surprised when you talk about plant-based diet? Does that surprise people? I would say not much simply because a lot of people come to me knowing that that's an area I'm focused in. Okay. Um, I, I would say there are times where people come to me just because, you know, a friend suggested or, or you know, family suggested and, and, you know, I might have to, they might know, they might've heard a bunch of myths about different, you know, things regarded to say plant-based diets or otherwise, and we'll have to talk about those. Uh, but in a lot of cases, they're on board uh, with, with a lot of the message and we'll just, um, we'll be able to move, you know, straight ahead. Okay. Now you mentioned it, you have to talk about it. What myth, because you smiled, so there must be something funny about it. What myth have you heard? people uh, I mean, think was real all like all of them uh protein soy oh, yeah. um uh carbs you know people think all sorts of things about carbs in general um uh, and then there's you know these papers that come out talking about fracture risk in, in vegetarians about stroke risk in vegetarians um a lot of issues with that research uh which i i talked about much of it on my uh, page before um, but I get all of them. Like it's literally nonstop. Well, I get people who think cholesterol is not a problem and I got to go through that whole thing. Um, so it's, it's, I do a lot of education in my practice. It's, it's largely education. Um, and then, you know, I give practical advice, um, in there, hopefully that they can adopt as well. How do you feel about, um, not paleo diet? What's the one I'm, I'm, I'm running a blank right now. What's the one that runs a lot of fat? Keto. Like, keto. So if we forget the vegan diet, I'm just curious because I used to do it years and years and mm -hmm. years ago. How do you feel about the keto diet? I just recorded a whole podcast on it. Uh, literally right before this. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but basically, I mean, for, for people with intractable epilepsy, so say epilepsy that is refractive to treatment or it's you know, not responsive to, uh, to medication, um, it does seem to be beneficial for that specific condition. Now there are risks associated. And when we talk about... Um, the kind of ketogenic diet that most of the average or general public is consuming, typically very high in saturated fat. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, you know, high in animal products. These are, you know, foods and nutrients associated with poor health outcomes. Um, it's going to be potentially a big issue down the road for them uh, as far as uh, increasing their disease risk. So if someone is going to do a ketogenic diet, and not that I think there's much reason to do it, But if you're going to, 
I would always advocate for you know, a plant-centric ketogenic diet, one that's focused on polyunsaturated, monounsaturated fats in the form of things like avocado, nuts, seeds, vegetable oils, um, and obviously a, a wide range of vegetables, maybe small amounts of berries and things in there. Um, that would be the sort of ketogenic diet I would advocate for um, and, and the type that you know, hopefully wouldn't lead to a worsening cardiovascular risk profile. Isn't it a bit hard though on a vegan diet to, um, to do keto? Because normally if you look at protein, plant-based protein is normally three to one carbs. If you're looking at beans, lentils mm -hmm. and all that stuff. So you'll get one gram of protein for three gram of carbs. And if you need to stay yeah. under 50 gram of carbs, you're not eating, you're not eating a lot of protein, right? Yeah. It can be harder. For sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you can still, I mean, there are things like seitan, there's textured oh, yeah. vegetable protein, there's, uh, actually, no, that would be the opposite. You don't want TVP because <laughs> that's uh, that's fat removed. Uh, but you have like seitan and you have these more, um, like tofu is a good one. Uh, you have these lower carbohydrate, higher protein, higher fat foods um, that can work. Uh, but then remember, it's fat predominant. It's not oh, necessarily yes. protein predominant for yeah. keto. You don't want to go too high on protein either. Um, so it is still possible. It's just more difficult I actually in my program, when I was going through my studies, just for my own sake, I actually did, uh, for one of my assignments, we had to design a, a sort of a, a diet and, and actually picked because I was already plant-based was too easy for me. I picked the keto <laughs> diet, but I made it plant-based just, yeah. just to see you know, if it could be done. So I, I did, I have a write up somewhere on, on what it would look like. Um, and I was able to do it as just, you know, it's more restrictive and, and, uh, uh, I feel like it wouldn't be the most fun thing in the world to consume, but uh, definitely possible. Satan wasn't a thing when I was doing it. Now I eat Satan every day, but yeah. Satan was not a thing when I was trying it. So it was quite hard to get the protein in. Yeah, that's fair enough. How about uh, one thing I've been doing for probably four or five years now is intermittent fasting. So I only eat about eight hours a day, give or take, like normally ranges from six to 10, somewhere in there. What are your thoughts on uh, intermittent fasting? I think the claimed benefits are way overblown. Um, now there might be some benefits for things like weight loss simply because you're shortening the eating window and, and therefore you're going to end up eating less. Um, outside of that, I'm not super convinced of benefit. I, I think um, the research on it is not too impressive thus far, uh, but that doesn't mean that we aren't going to get more research showing more pronounced benefit. But uh, I think a lot of it is based sort of on speculation at this point. So because one of the things that they, they mentioned through research is that your insulin levels will go down because you're not eating for long periods of time and they will regulate itself. Is that true or is that, that isn't true? I mean, not like, not that I've seen that it, to a degree that would matter. Like, okay. I, I don't know. I don't know that, um, that managing our insulin levels like that is going to lead to any sort of, a, a you know, actual health benefit long-term. Um, that's the issue. Like I'm always more concerned with the health outcomes. Like, does it actually lead to lower risk of disease or is it just, um, you know, is it a specific marker that we're looking at And it's, um, you know, but there's so many markers you can look at and, and, you know, be concerned about it. But at the end of the day, if it doesn't lead to a reduction in risk of these various diseases or improvements in longevity or, or what have you, I just don't think it's all that big of a deal. So what do you think about fasting as a whole? I have one of my friends that loves to do, he will go 48 72 hours fast like just drink water for that and he's a muscular guy he's just he does it once every couple of months or so how do you feel about the 
Uh, yeah, same sort of thing. Like, I'm just not too impressed with the the research that we do have on stuff like that. Now, we don't have a ton, yeah. um, but but yeah, I just I don't think that there's much benefit to be had there uh, over, and this is the key, over consuming a healthy overall diet, right? Ooh. Compared to just eating a generally very healthy diet um, or eating a healthy diet without fasting versus a healthy diet with fasting, I, I don't know that there's going to be an added benefit there. Do you see a counter, not a counter benefit, but do you see an issue with people doing fasting or you don't see a problem with that? Because I understand I, yeah. there's no benefit. It's just to me, I feel great. Like I'm so used to yeah. it. I love not to feel clunky and I love to eat one massive meal every day. I eat two meals normally, but the one I'm about to eat right now, I'll, I'll eat 2000 calories in one sitting. I'll eat so, for an hour and a half yeah. though, but yeah, I love to do that. So the, um, for the time restricted feeding or like the kind of intermittent fasting you were yep. mentioning before, yep. um, I don't see really a risk there. Um, okay. you know, I don't see anything I'd be concerned about for, for extended fast, yep. especially if you're going up to like three or more days, then I'd be concerned because there's things like electrolyte balances and stuff that you got to look out for, um, for any sort of extended fast like that. I, always suggest you know under supervision there are fasting clinics and things like that to go to where you can be monitored um but if someone was fasting for like a day or something i wouldn't be you know too concerned about it generally speaking obviously there might be certain circumstances so but as a general rule of thumb it's not you don't see yeah I don't, I, I don't see a big deal with that yeah do you speak in your practice about sleeping habits is that something you touch Um, yeah, a bit. So a lot of, uh, like I always ask, uh, my patients about their sleep, how many hours they get, do they wake up rested? You know, just some, you know, questions around that. Um, and I think a common one is that people don't sleep enough. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's a big issue. Uh, you know, people will be getting like five hours and ask, are you waking up rested? They're like, no, I'm tired. Hard to get out of bed in the morning. <laughs> like it's well, no, I mean, you're sleeping five hours. It's not, not a, you know, it's not a rocket science. Uh, so why you're, um, not feeling great in the morning. Um, so we do talk a bit about that and there's obviously sleep hygiene practices. That's kind of the starting point. Um, things like, you know, do you have a cool, dark sleep environment? Uh, only use your bed for, uh, sleep. Um, you know, have a similar, uh, sleep wake cycle every night. Like there are certain, um, practices that you can try that are, are pretty basic, but all of us are bad at even like looking at screens at night is something I probably do too much of, um, Uh, usually, usually I gotta debunk somebody online before bed. No. <laughs> um, so, so I'm always like, uh, um, so, I mean, it is something that I talk about a lot, uh, but I usually just start with those simple, uh, sleep hygiene practices. And then, um, you know, there might be, might be reason in some cases to, to try some additional things like, uh, say melatonin or, or whatever, but I, I don't want to have to rely on those sorts of, of, um, you know, additions. So I'm going to be very immature here, but you said, uh, you said only use your bed for sleeping. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's another thing. Don't, what I mean is, what I mean no, is just... don't, don't use it for reading or watching TV or, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just very, I, I can, I'm a man. I'm still very immature. Yeah. So I have to say something about yeah, no yeah. sex allowed in the bed. Sorry, babe. Yeah. Not happening. <laughs> the, uh, Listen, we've been going for about, yeah, 40, uh, 35 minutes. Um, I got a question for you. The, I asked the same question to everybody I ever speak to. If you had the chance to speak to your 14-year-old self, what would you tell him? Or what would you tell yourself, actually? 
put down the cheeseburger. <laughs> I was, I was all over McDonald's in those days. Uh, just thinking of it, but no, like for real. Um, I don't know. Like I, I, I feel like, you know, a lot of the things that I, especially in the years following that, cause it was 15 when I really started on this path to where I am now, I feel like I wouldn't have changed much. Right. I, I feel like just, just do what you're doing and you're going to get to this point. You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, I did some stupid things when I was younger. Everybody does too. So it's not like, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I, I dwell on anything like that, but, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think I'd have too much to say. I, I think, I think I was at that point was kind of the turning point for when, when I went down this path to where I'm at right now. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. That's very good. That's a good answer. I wouldn't yeah. say much because I was already on the right track. That's good. Yeah. That's very good. You're very mature, 14 years old. <laughs> maybe I'm trying to think what happened between. Maybe no. I would tell myself to stop skateboarding because I broke my leg that following year. That's okay. <laughs> It happens. I broke so many bones through martial arts. I yeah. fell off my bike not too long ago going 70 or 80 kilometers an hour i'm burnt everywhere it's it's okay it's part of yeah, part it of happens. life to get in oh yeah it happens yeah listen i want to thank you for taking the time that was uh, very informative thank you very much it's uh, i really really like the uh, the breakdown especially for diabetes i think that that's a big problem for a lot of people mm. and i hope that we can get more doctors like you to try to convince people to go Even if you don't do it for the animals, I do it for the animals. But if you do it for your health, I don't care. It's all good to me. As long as at the end of the day, you consume less meat products, I'm happy. So continue doing what you're doing. I'm happy that there's people like you around because we do need we do need more of them, I think. Thank you. That's uh, Yeah, that's the goal. I just want to keep spreading that message. Well, thank you very much for taking the time. Eh? Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a good talk. <laughs> Thank you.